0: And really that's just a perfect segue into our, our message for today. As we go through the book of James, is that faith leads us to obedience to God. And sometimes he calls you to do easy things. Uh, many times he calls you to do really challenging things, things that might turn your life upside down. But when you remain obedient to him, God accomplishes his purposes in amazing ways. And so I'll have you open up now uh, to James chapter 1. And we're going to read the second part of that, verses 19 through 27 today. And, and last week, if you weren't here, as we, we studied the book of James, we were, we're answering the question, really, uh, how, how do you respond to trials in life? How does faith lead you to respond to trials? And the answer to that is to understand the trial and either keep going at what you're doing or reverse course and, and, and look for God's truth. And now the, the question really is, how do you respond to truth as a Christian? How do you respond to God's words? And I'm going to give you an example here on the topic of obedience. And just imagine for a second that that you own this house. Beautiful house. And you've put a lot of work into it. You've built it up to your expectations and everything is exactly as you intend it to be. But you need to leave for an extended period of time. Let's say 10 years. You need to be gone from this house. And so you entrust maybe a cousin or a son or a daughter or someone to take care of it, and you leave for them very specific instructions of what they are to do while you're gone. Gather the mail, pay the bills, mow the lawn, do basic maintenance and upkeep on the house. And so you're gone for a long time, and you come back to find this. Now, the first thing you're going to do is go to those that person or those people and say, did you read any of my instructions that I left for you? And maybe they say, yes, we, we read all of them. In fact, they, they were really well written and quite beautiful. I, I memorized them. I recited them daily and I thought about them often. Every day I thought about your instructions. And then the next question is, well, did you do any of them? And that's the reality that we face as a church, is that Christ has entrusted a lot to us. He has given us many instructions that we are to be obedient to. But James is telling us today that knowledge is only trivia if it's not applied to your life. That faith means obedience. And we make that same mistake Many times where we think that sheer knowledge or even faithful memory is enough, but that's not our purpose as Christians, that faith is exemplified in what we do, in our obedience to truth. How do we respond to truth? Well, the short answer is that we act on it. The long answer is what we're going to be reading and studying today, but let's pray before we read these verses this morning. Well, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth that shapes us and forms us and, and guides us in all things. And I pray, God, as, as we have this faith in you, that we would accept this truth, this word that's planted in us to save us, that we would act on it in obedience and that we would continue in it, uh, knowing, Lord, that, that your way is the right way. And so, God, I pray for all of us, uh, knowing that we're never going to do this perfectly, uh, but understanding that there are things we can do and that you call us to do, that we respond to that obediently. So today, God, I pray more than anything that this wouldn't be just a study of your word, but an application of your word, that your Holy Spirit would guide us and nudge us, that we'd understand what it is that we are to do, and that we would respond on that in in obedience uh, for your glory and not for ours. And so God, I pray this for all of us today. Speak to us and shape us, form us today through your word, we pray. Amen. Well, let's read together here James 1, uh, verses 19 through 27. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, Get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, as we look at these words today, we understand that obedience is at the heart of faith, that faith and obedience cannot and should not be separated from one another, but they absolutely complement One another in our pursuit of God. And the beginning point of all of that is to accept God's word as truth. Obedience can only begin when you have established the authority in your life. And truth is one of those words that is kind of under attack in today's day and age, and perhaps it's always been. But we have the idea that people can decide for themselves what their truth is. But those with faith understand that God's word is truth. And the important place to start is listening. Listening. Now, it used to be that the loudest person would win, and now it's the first and the loudest person wins. But the Christian is to start with listening. When we talk, it should be simply to ask questions of God. And the, and the question should always be, what does God's word say about this? And too often, rather than coming to God's word with a heart of listening, we, we think we already have our idea made up and now I need to find the verse that supports the idea. Or I like this part of God's word, but I don't like that part of God's Word. And here's what I want God to say. And I thought a lot about this because these directions were given is really talking about our interactions with one another and also our interactions with God. And, and a lot of times we can, uh, we can come to God and, and, and treat it kind of like we have an argument with a person. You know where you already have your mind made up, and when they're talking, you're not really listening, you're just thinking about the thing you want to say back, and and you're using whatever words you hear to kind of use against them to prove their point. We can come to God's word with the same attitude, not of listening, but of arguing. And we have this idea of who God is or who we think he should be, and then when he doesn't fit that model, Then we get upset with him. We get angry. And what we read here is if you have that heart that's not open to listening first, but rather accusing or arguing, it's only going to come to a place of anger. And that anger is fruitless. It leads to no good. But when God speaks, we must listen to what he says and accept it as truth. And we're going to hear challenging things as you study God's word. God's word will challenge you. He says things like, go and make disciples. Be my hands and my feet. Be the salt and the light of the world. And the the answer we have to that is, how do I get around this? How do I circumvent this challenging call in my life? But obedience starts with accepting his words as truth and obeying what you know to be true. And throughout all of history, God's people have rebelled against this. Just read through the Old Testament. And in virtually every single chapter, you're going to see this nation rebelling against God's word. And saying, I like to hear that thing, but I didn't like to hear this one thing, so I'm going to kind of go that direction. And it creates pain, this cycle of pain and hardship. And the reality is God is speaking in order to save you from that pain and the hardship, and that's where we see verse 21, is we're getting rid of the moral filth, and this means anything that goes against God's design for morality, and the evil that's so prevalent, get rid of those things, and humbly accept the word God has given you, which can save you from all of that hardship, it's listening, and it's accepting God's word as truth. The reality is there's, there's many deceptive voices you're going to hear in this world. Things that, that sound good, that appear good, but actually are evil and destructive to their core. You have to be careful what you're accepting as truth in your life. It's a confusing world. And what this is a saying is to get rid of those things. And the word get rid is actually to take off. Like, like stinky clothes at the end of a day, shed those things. And clothe yourself in God's truth. And maybe it's just because I'm now a parent and soon to be a parent again, but I, I do believe that kids today are growing up in potentially the most confusing and deceiving time ever. They hear a lot of things, and there's many mediums in which for them to hear these deceiving things. And so we need to be all about bringing them the good news, of the word of God that can save them from them from those deceptive and destructive things. That's why I'm so excited about what's happening in our church right now. And you heard both Phil and Steph kind of talk about Wednesday night, but I want to take a moment to really share with you what I saw. And it was amazing. Short stories that we had somewhere between 90 and 100 students in our building excited to hear about the Word of God, which can save them. And it started by the community meal, which, by the way, everyone is invited to. I do invite you just to come out, it's a great time, uh, but we kind of had a loaves and fishes miracle uh, going on there. There was Sloppy Joe's and potato chips in this application, but people just kept coming to the meal. And somehow the food stretched out, so thank you to the kitchen staff for that. And then I was in this uh, parents' meeting for Roots, where Mason had Mason already gone there, and seeing uh, everything that's happening. And they're in this large group lesson, and it was almost comical after a while that they were filing out of this, this large group in single file lines, quite well-behaved. I don't know if they put shot colors on them or what happened. <laughs> But I'm watching them come out, and it was like a clown car after a while. They just, they just kept coming, and they're excited to go to their small groups to learn about God's Word. And I poked my head into the youth room, which is 7th through 12th grade. And it was, it was an emotional experience for me, uh, just to see it packed. I encourage you to go down there and see those, those chairs set up. Phil sets out 50 chairs. Maybe it was 48 chairs in good faith, and every single one of them were filled to excess. And they're there engaged, and I I poked my head in during the time of worship, and the students were worshiping God and excited to be there. Beyond the, the numbers, which were exciting, was the attitude of these kids to come and to hear the word of God. And we're not playing video games We weren't putting up a ball pit in bouncy houses. They were learning Bible lessons and about God's word, which was planted in them that can save them. And they were excited to be there. What James is saying is this is the kind of thing that should drive us as a church and make us excited. And we see that and say we want to do that more. And understand that, that God's word is truth. And that truth can save you. I believe God is doing many wonderful things right now around the world and here. I think God is raising a generation and it's starting right now to lead people to a place of faith and obedience that can save them. And seeing it play out on Wednesday night was incredible for me. I encourage you to do the same. But, but I think as we, we wrap up this idea of, of accepting God's word as truth, is to know that all of this is covered in God's grace, that it's his word that he plants in us. This is God's work. And I think this language here is absolutely on purpose, that we are not saved by our working, but rather our receiving. And when we humbly accept the word that saves us, then we are moved into action. And this action, this application, this obedience is the proof of the saving faith of God in our lives. That's the heart of James and the baseline of all we're going to be reading when we talk about faith and works, that it is covered, it is saturated in God's grace in us. And so when we accept God's word as truth, that helps us understand the next verse, which is kind of the key verse of all of the books of, book of James in, in verse 22, is that we are to obey God's word wholeheartedly. Verse 22, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And this is really where we take faith beyond theory and, and put it into practice, that faith should be evident in your life by what you do. And you can hear from God. You can listen to him of what it is you are to do. You you can hope that it happens. You You can talk about it happening. You can meditate on his word. You can pray about it. You can plan. You can strategize how you're going to do it. But if you don't actually do what it says, then James says you're deceiving yourself. You're lying to yourself. Because it means you haven't actually accepted the word. Your faith is lacking at this point. Faith and obedience cannot be separated from one another. And so he uses this kind of humorous picture of words in verses 23 and 24. It's like, it's like a person, that anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like, like a person who looks into a mirror, and after looking at themselves, they go away and immediately forget what they look like. Like looking in a mirror and then five seconds later, you couldn't pick yourself out of a police lineup. You don't know who you are, right? And I understand what it means to immediately forget something. I've done the whole um, walk around the house looking for the car keys, which are in my hand. You know, I've done the whole (laughs) opening up the refrigerator and forget what it is that I came there for. I've heard people's names in a conversation and forget it seconds later. I've been there. But this is beyond the trivial and the inconsequential. It's forgetting who you are in Christ. And those who who accept God's truth, who obey God's truth, know exactly who they are and what they're about in Jesus. We can treat God's word in the same way where we take a quick glance at it We kind of digest this small morsel of truth, and then we go back to life exactly like it was before. But James says, if that's what your faith looks like, then you're lying to yourself. It's more than just listening. It's obeying. And we're going to talk about this theme a lot more throughout the book of James. But it's reinforced in other areas of the Scripture. Jesus said the same thing in different ways. At the end of his Sermon on the Mount when he talked to the great crowd about all that it was that they are supposed to do and is was filled with commands, he said that if you are wise, you will hear these words of mine and you will put them into practice. In the same way, in the book of John, he says, if you actually love me, if, you, if you're really my disciples, then you will keep my word. And in the book of First John, he says, whoever says I know him, I know Jesus, but does not do what he commands is a liar, meaning you're deceiving yourself. And the truth, God's word, is not in that person. That's 1 John 2, 4. This idea is multiplied throughout the scriptures, and it's important to understand with faith, is that we are to obey him and to obey him wholeheartedly. Now, that's, that's my word, but it's a biblical idea that you obey him without compromise, and you can choose which parts of the scripture you like and which you don't like. You can act on the easy stuff or the stuff that's compatible with your lifestyle, the things that are convenient to you in the moment. But God's word is design, designed to confront you, convict you, and to challenge you. You have to ask yourself, if, if you're reading God's word and you are not challenged by anything, then perhaps there's an issue here because Hebrews 4:12 says that the word of God is alive and active, meaning it knows you. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of your heart. There's kind of two parts to God's word. One is, is encouraging you. When things are hard and you're doing the right things, God's word will give you that, that peace. And the strength to keep going. And the other side is to convict you. And that's the part we can't overlook. If you're not challenged by God's word, then be careful. Don't be willing to obey the word. Obey the word. And do it wholeheartedly without compromise. And this isn't just a one-time one-time action here as a Christian. This is an ongoing action as a Christian. As we look at the last few verses, that we're to continue in God's word consistently. Not a one-time event, but you keeping God's word at the forefront of your life. It should shape you, it should form you, it should challenge you in all things. And it says here that whoever looks intently, verse 25, whoever looks intently, into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but but doing it will be blessed in all they do. And this is got a lot to unpack here. But I, I want to look first into the words looking intently. Looking intently. There's a lot of meaning packed into this. And it means to stoop down and study. Stoop down and study. I was on my way to a family reunion yesterday, and I was really thinking about those words, look intently, stoop down and study, and I thought, you know what, this is just like a toddler. Like our boy Mason. A bug can stop him in his tracks. And he'll stop, and he'll look down and study this and be curious about it and want to know what it is. And <clears throat> It's funny how God works because shortly after we got to this park for the, uh, the family reunion, he gave me a Moment to capture on camera to share with you. And my poor boy, Mason, has been the example of a lot uh, of sermon moments. And if he's watching this in the future, I'm sorry. Everyone knows everything about you. But he sees this group of mushrooms on the ground, and, and he stops, and he looks down at it, immediately he's like, Dad, what are these? And those are mushrooms. Well, why are they here? I don't know. Can I touch them? Probably not. Are they squishy? I'm sure they are. Can I eat them? Please don't. And so he's, he's looking at these mushrooms and studying them and curious and asking questions with wonderment and, and amazement of what he's seeing. Stopped him in his tracks in the moment. And that's how we should come to God's Word, when we look at it intently, is, is it stops us where we are. And we come with this blank slate of understanding and there's this wonderment of what he's saying. And we ask these questions. Well, what do you mean by that, God? What does that mean for me now? And we understand that we're never going to fully absorb God's word. Because we come to it always with this wonderment. As we look intently to it, we stoop down and gaze upon it. it and just a couple weeks ago, someone asked me, uh, do you ever worry Dominic, that you're going to run out of material for sermons. (laughs) And I'm just like, this is like a small text Bible, right? It's just like, no, never, never. In fact, I have the opposite problem every week as I look intently into God's word and, and I become amazed by it and I learn by it. You know, people always wonder what I preach from. This is usually about two pages of outline and you see color coded things. These are the things that I tell myself i got to say that, or if I get off track, come back to that. The reality is I start with about triple this. And my whole week is not wondering what I should say, but what do I have to leave out? And, and that's not at all a, a, a testament of, of me, because I, I probably have to work at this a lot harder than most pastors. It's, it's a testament to the wonderment of God's word, that as you look intently upon it, when you, when you study this, you're going to learn things you never knew. And, and I encourage people to read it daily. And I've talked to people in our church who said, I just read through the Bible for the 15th time. And I learned more the 15th time than I did the first time. And you're always going to keep learning as you go through it, when you look at it intently, with wonderment and awe of all that God is doing. Look intently into the perfect law. And this right here, these are two words that could have been a sermon in and of themselves. Because it's not talking specifically about the Old Testament law, the law of Moses, but the law that was perfected through Christ. Christ did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, which means to elevate it. It means that Christ has perfected the law and what he did for us, that there is now a new law that is written in our heart. Those who look intently in all that Christ has done and all that Christ has said will be given freedom. They'll be given freedom. And only the truth of God can give us freedom. The word planted deeply in us that can save us. And what's important here is we get this idea of how we're to to approach the word of God and then some important operative words appear and continues in it. Continues in it. And I look at this kind of like vows in a marriage. You can can make the vows on your wedding day. You can promise that you'll love them and honor them and, and keep them and serve them and whatever your vows may be. But if you're only saying them and not doing them, they do no good. But if you also say, we've been married for 20 years and I kept that vow once 19 years ago, that doesn't work either. It's something you need to renew every single day in order for them to work. And that's, that's how God's word, our obedience to it, works. Is It has to be continued every single day in every single moment. And when you do that, you will be blessed in what you do. This doesn't necessarily mean that if you are perfectly obedient to God, that money is going to rain down from heaven on you. It means that obedience is the blessing. That when you are obedient to God, no matter how you are, compared to your own assumptions, compared to the rest of the world, it's exactly where God wants you to be. And where God has you to be is perfect. Obedience is the blessing. And we see now some examples, verses 26 and 27, the, the evidence of this obedience to God. And we see a, a negative example followed by two positive examples. What does obedience look like in your life? And what's important here is to look at these as, as principles. They're true in and of themselves, but they're speaking to something greater. That the obedient person doesn't only just control their tongue, take care of orph- orphans and widows, and uh, not be polluted by the world. And if you can go check, check, check those three things, that you now have perfect faith. But it's, it's pointing us to something greater, greater principles. And the first, as we talk about controlling your tongue, is, is really having a life of self-control. Right? And we're all going to have urges, we're going to have pressures. Or we're going to have feelings that make us want to do things in a moment. But, but someone who is truly faithful and obedient to God will have the self-control to act against those urges. And there's all sorts of uh, examples in life that are hard to exhibit self-control. Spending habits. Eating habits. It could be praying it would be a lot of different things, but probably the one that's universal to all of us is controlling our tongue. It is incredibly difficult, and keeping a tight rein on your tongue is, is, is another idea that we're going to talk about more as this series continues. Chapter 3 talks a lot about it. But really the higher principle here is, is self-control. Can you be obedient when you don't feel like being obedient? And so it says that someone who can't even control control Their tongue has a worthless religion or an empty faith. Obedience means keeping yourself from doing what you know you shouldn't do, even when it's really hard. If you can't live without self control, then the fruit or the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life is lacking and you're deceiving yourself. Now, the second example here is is that, that religion that God accepts, a religion that is worthy before God, is to look after orphans and widows. And this, again, isn't saying that if you want to be a real Christian, you have to open up an orphanage in your home. But you need to consider what, what they were facing at this time. And really what this is saying, the high principle is, are you able to take care of the immediate needs in front of you? And so orphans and widows at this time were largely forgotten, marginalized, By society. Nobody took care of them. And society kind of viewed them as worthless, that if they died, who cares? They're not really a person. And by the time James wrote this letter, the New Testament church really was the orphanage. It's where orphans and widows knew they could go to get help. So people reading this would have probably interacted with orphans and widows that week. And so it's really saying, can you meet the tangible needs that are immediately in front of you, orphans and widows and their distress? You can know what to do. You can tell yourself what all the needs are in your life, but are you taking action of the needs that are immediately in front of you? And this is just like the parable of the Good Samaritan, where the priest and the Levite passed the man on the side of the road who was about to die, and it was the Samaritan who stopped and actually helped and went above and beyond to the man in distress. And we all struggle with this. It's something I struggle with, too, where you, you list yourself, all of the needs and the things and the good pursuits in your life you have to get done, and you miss the things that are right in front of you. And maybe, maybe I shared this story with you already, but a couple years ago now, I was dropping off. Uh, Mason at daycare, which is in the home daycare, kind of right across the park, so I can just walk with him uh, to his daycare in the morning. And one of the neighbors, which would be my neighbor across the park, I didn't know who it was, was struggling to load his lawnmower into a truck, a riding lawnmower into his truck. And I saw him trying to drive up these really steep ramps and the wheels are just spinning, and, and I had a busy day that day. A lot of really good things to get done, sermon to plan, ministry meetings, and we had all sorts of things we're, we're working on, and I was already running behind. And my immediate thought was, he'll be fine. He'll get it. And I'm walking back, and it's actually in that moment, is like orphans and widows. That's a person in distress who needs help right now, and I'm just walking past him. And so I turned around, I walked back, and I helped him along, and I come to find out that he had already fallen backwards off of his lawnmower. His head was bleeding, and he was in distress here. And so I went back, and we were able to winch it up onto his truck. I got, the, got everything we needed, and, and he thanked me. And it, and it led to a really fruitful discussion about spirituality. This was before he even knew I was a pastor. And we had a, we had a really good discussion through all this, but it was so convicting in the moment to realize that I'm, I've got my head so deep in the things I think I need to do that I'm missing the immediate needs that God placed before me. Now nobody can do everything. But I think the question that's being asked here by James is, are you doing everything you can do in the moments that are given to you? Obedience many times is taking care of what you see right before you. The last part of this is is really to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. This is having a pure heart before God. And this doesn't mean that to be a true Christian you must be sinless, because that's not possible for anyone. But it's really a question of what do I desire the most? Now the world, the the way this is being used here, it's again not calling you to be some uh, recluse in a cave somewhere detaching from the world, but this is referring to the godless worldview or the empty morality, the deceptive things of the world. Keep yourself from being polluted by that. And the word polluted can also be translated as infiltrated, like enemies coming into a camp of soldiers. This means to keep first keep your guard up, know what truth is, but also be content in God. Know Jesus and blank theology. But if you have God and his word and you're obedient to what you know is true and you're meeting the needs before you, that's enough. You don't need anything else that the world may offer to you. So we see these examples here. Exhibit self-control. Don't do the things you know you shouldn't do, but also do the things you know you should do and have a contentment in Christ above all things. Faith, obedience, are dependent on one another. Accept God at his word that he is the only authority in your life and obedience to him is all that is necessary for salvation know that it is god's grace that has covered all of this be obedient don't just be listeners be doers of the word listen and then act and know that obedience is wholesale not selective and remember his word continue in his word But above all, trust Christ above yourself. Your obedience does not bring salvation. It displays your salvation in him. And in all things, all glory goes to God. Let's pray together. Well, God, we we thank you that you do challenge us. and. At times it's hard. Well, it's it's always hard. It's always hard to be challenged and convicted, but we know it's because you're calling us to something greater than we could imagine, that we could desire in the moment, that you have something greater for us. So I pray, God, as a church, that we would be obedient to the callings you have before us, that we would be amazed by what you speak to us, that we would study it intently, But God, more than knowing, more than thinking, more than loving your word, is acting upon your word. So God, give us the strength and the grace to do that in all areas. So we pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.